Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. We've talked about the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of faith. This morning, we're going to scratch the surface of the seventh gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Whenever we hear such a clear injunction from Scripture, our ears need to perk up. There were only a few subjects that God insisted that the church be absolutely clear about using this type of language. And one of those such subjects was the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, it was through these gifts that the first century church turned the world upside down, or rather right side up. And it's still these dynamic gifts that operate through God's people that can and will do the same in our generation. Verse 7, Paul mentions them, and then he catalogs them. And he says, but the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, meaning the Spirit of God doesn't just want to live with us or in us. He wants to manifest like he has today and actively engage in your life. This is sometimes where believers get it wrong. They feel the presence of God, but they think that's all there is to God. I don't want a God that just comforts me in my pain. I want a God that has power to address my pain. So here, speaking of moments when the Holy Spirit actively and personally gets involved in our affairs. He's saying that when the Spirit shows up in this way or, or releases these gifts, it's given to each one for the profit of who? All. How many of y'all like profit? Yeah, I like profit. Without these gifts active in your life, success will cost you more and benefit you less. And many of us are on a Christian journey where it's costing you a whole lot. And you're not really profiting in your journey. And that's why I even insist I felt God said, go on and preach, boy. Even in the midst of this environment, it is vital that your walk with God, your relationship with God becomes profitable. And it will not be profitable unless you move beyond the area of ignorance, according to Paul, that you've been walking in. So we're going to lay some of these things out and, and continue to develop them over the next couple weeks. He says, "For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Wisdom is simply the skillful use of knowledge. Knowledge 
understands the light is red, but wisdom tells you to apply the brakes. Does that make sense? You may be able to list and have knowledge of all the companies on the American Stock Exchange, but wisdom tells you which company to invest in. So knowledge and wisdom are not the same. Then he says, to another, the word of knowledge through the same what? Spirit. He keeps emphasizing this is the work of God's spirit, not the work of our study, not the work of our own strength, not the work of, uh, of any power we could somehow, you know, sum up, uh, stir up in ourselves. He's talking about things that could only come through the spirit. So, the word of knowledge is when God gives you inside information, stuff that you just couldn't own, uh, know on your own. Last week, I, I used the example of pastor. I said it was her keys, but it was really her earrings. She corrected me when, when the service was over. But some time ago, she lost her earrings, and she prayed, Lord, where are my earrings? The Lord spoke to her and said, it's in your red shoes. How many of you know you don't look for earrings in a pair of red shoes? <laughs> So God had knowledge, and God spoke to her heart, and she had information she would not have otherwise found. She loved those earrings. She would have tore everything in the house up if God didn't intervene and speak to her. <laughs> then it says to, to another, by the same spirit. And we covered this like Joshua, when he told the sun not to set, guess what it did? It stayed right there. Or when Peter slept between the, the two soldiers when he was supposed to be executed the, the following day. And the Bible said when the angel came, the angel had to strike him, meaning he had to hit him hard on his side in order for him to wake up. I know that, you know, uh, there are times I just had a test that I studied for the night before in the morning and I couldn't sleep. Imagine the next day you are going to face execution. You are in the prison. They already got you in custody. And the, the king has already said, when, when the sun comes up, you are dead. How many of you could sleep? I mean, even if you weren't worried, how many of you might be thinking about your life? The Bible says Peter was married. How many think he might be thinking about his wife? He might have been thinking about his children. The Bible says he slept. How many know that's an extraordinary faith? That's a gift when you can sleep in moments like that and find rest. Then he says, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another working of miracles, another prophecy. We'll cover all of these in the weeks to come. But today, our focus is on the seventh, the discerning of spirit. So we're going to, uh, our spirits, we're going to go to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at this gift in operation. I'm sure this is uh, probably something maybe only 2 or 3% in this room have ever really uh, studied or, or learned about. But this gift actually has operated many times in my life, and my concern is if I talk too much about that, uh, we won't be able to cover all the information. Uh, so I'm going to discipline myself, and we're going to move forward. Verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon. By the second century, the, the Simon became the subject of a lot of speculation, a lot of legend, and a lot of myth. Today, though, we're only going to study the record, and we're going to go deeper and uh, 
uh, we're going to understand some things I think are going to impact us. Who previously practiced sorcery in the city, meaning he was a magician. And our, uh, archaeologists have studied this, this, this region, the, the whole Roman Empire, in fact. And they'd go into the various temples and they'd discover trap doors. They'd also discover speaking tubes where a person would speak and sounds and voices would come and reverberate through the building. And they found many such devices like this through ancient temples throughout the entire uh, Middle East. And all these were tricks designed to deceive worshipers and, and to cause them to think that something supernatural was happening that was not happening. And it says, and he astonished the people of Samaria. Magicians were so common throughout the Roman Empire that the emperor Tiberius en enlisted sorcerers actually to become part of his internal court. This is how popular this group was. This was how uh, well-known and how well-engaged they were. And uh, this man claimed that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest. The magic in this period often included the occult. So there were demons often involved, and, and there were blood sacrifices involved. There was sometimes drugs and, and people put into hypnotic trances, and all that was involved. And, and people were definitely afraid of this man, Simon. He was much like witch doctors in the other parts of the world. And actually, I had an experience with a witch doctor. Again, we, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about that in the future. But actually, Larry, our drummer, uh, he had uh, the biggest experience with this witch doctor. We were in Dominican Republic. It's a great story. I baited you. I'm sorry. But uh, we'll, we'll cover it another time. We're going to keep moving forward. Well, everyone honored this man. And they said, this man is the great power of God. So they believed God gave him a special power. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with sorceries for a long time. He had a very, very strong following. But when God showed up, everything changed. If you think God's in your life, but nothing changed, you need to check again. But when they believed Philip, someone very aptly said and described ministry or preaching as this. All preaching is, is, is truth through personality. So notice the pattern. This is important. They trusted Philip before they trusted his message. Trust is the currency of all relationship. Lose it and nothing else matters. And sometimes not even the truth. That's why our credibility must be above reproach. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, unlike some Simon, Philip didn't exalt himself, only his Christ. Jesus is the only subject, object, and focus of our worship. It says both men and women were baptized. People are always amazed at the high percentage of men that, that are involved and in, that attend Grace Church. And we even get calls from around the country, and, and you can ask Janelle. She takes these phone calls, and they're asking about certain men on television trying to find out. You didn't know this, by the way, if, you, if they're married. So, 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 ladies, hold on to your man tight, because there might be some woman in South Dakota that's going to call and inquire just this week. 
<laughs> this is true, it's true. In fact, we got a call, this woman in New York, I have never seen so many men in church, I'm coming down there. <laughs> Maybe you're here. I don't know. But I want to show you uh, uh, two scriptures. John 19, 26. Let's see, okay, those are two scriptures. I want you to know something about Jesus. He was tender enough to speak to his mother from the cross, but he was strong enough, brave enough for a soldier to say, surely this man was the son of God. In a healthy church, both genders flourish. Watch this, watch this. I feel the Holy Ghost all over me. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Then Simon himself, also, this is the witch doctor, he also believed. Now, this is where most people force their theology onto the text. The text says that both Simon and the Samaritans believe using the same term for belief, meaning that both groups of people believed. So my question is, how is it 2,000 years removed from the incident and none of us were there? Read the text and say, well, Simon didn't really believe. I just want to reestablish what Jesus, not what the theologians say, but what Jesus says happens to everybody who believes, even sorcerers, by the way. John 3 and verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That the King James Version says, whosoever, that includes sorcerers. That includes drug addicts, drug pushers, prostitutes. That includes liars. That includes thieves. That even includes some of y'all middle-class folks sitting out there right now. It says, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, Scripture says Simon believed. So according to Jesus, he received eternal life, period. No question mark, no more commentary. If Jesus said it, that settles it, and we can be certain it happened. Back to Acts 13. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, inspired by the Holy Spirit, begins to pile on details to, to make the case. He said, not only did he believe, it says, and when he was baptized... Now, in the first century church, they did not take baptism lightly. Matter of fact, in Matthew 3, we're not going to go there or cover it. John the Baptist had a whole crowd of Pharisees and Sadducees come to him. Now, they were the authorities of the day, and if he baptized them, that would have been great for his ministry. But he had these Pharisees and Sadducees finally humble themselves, get past their pride, and come to him to be baptized. But then he chased all of them off, rejected them. But he says, you know, you guys need to show fruit fitting of repentance. There's no evidence of a changed heart and mind. 
because of this background, the culture, and all of these men where Jesus spoke, repent, and believe, Jesus' disciples actually uh, baptized, as well as John the Baptist, they all grew up in this milieu, this time, this culture. It is highly unlikely that Philip would have allowed Simon to, to make a public mockery of baptism unless he really believed something happened to Simon, unless he really believed that Simon had gotten saved. Then Simon himself, again, the witch doctor, bones around his neck, if you will, also believed and was baptized, and he continued with Philip. Now, this is important. When you really give your life to Christ, you will continue. You will persevere. You will start to show up. But based on what we're about to read, Simon listened with his heart, but he also watched with a very professional eye. Simon knew all the tricks of the trade. He knew the tricks of oratory. He knew the, the sleight of hand. So he watched very closely to make sure that Philip's miracles were legitimate, that, that, that Philip's miracles were, were, were genuine and, and the real thing. Socrates argues that the best thieves make the best detectives. That's why God's called me into the ministry. Y'all wondering about what I just said. But let's keep going. Okay, now I'm paused there. The actual quote from Socrates is that the best thief makes the best guard. And because I was a person of such intense intellectual doubt, such intense um, animosity for the spirit and things of truth, God has used me to think through things. He's helped me and, and guided me. And, and because of this background, it's just a greater sensitivity to things that at one point were actually an obstacle now they kind of become uncertain. And that's what God does in each of our lives. That thing that was a problem to you is the very thing God uses to, to turn around and, and use for his glory. Please stay with me. And he was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Again, no sleight of hand, no trap doors, only people whose lives were genuinely and radically changed by the power of God. But then his old way of thinking began to step back in. And that kind of happened to Peter where he was walking on the water. And, and it happens with us. Our old lives have a way of even though we stepped into this new thing, has a way of trying to sneak back in and take hold of us. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, this was really big because Jews and Samaritans were historic enemies. And for the Samaritans to accept a Jewish Messiah was huge. That was big. So they sent Peter and John to join them to inspect everything, make sure everything was kosher. Who, when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Watch 16. For as yet, he had fallen upon none of them. How many know whatever Jesus says is so? Jesus had already said that whoever believes on me, whosoever, will receive eternal life. And he also taught through the latter chapters of John that you cannot have eternal life apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
So the sign that you are born again is the indwelling Holy Spirit inside you that bears witness to your heart that you are a child of the Most High God. But we see something very important and very interesting in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit did not just come to live on the inside of believers. He would also come and dramatically come upon those who believe. And it was this latter thing that the Holy Spirit did that made the book of Acts so exciting. Stay with me. He said the Spirit of God had not come upon them. So the Spirit can be within, but there's another thing to become endued. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, meaning they were good Baptists, but they had not yet stepped into the fullness of God's spirit. And the apostles knew that God had more for them than they'd already stepped into. So the apostles, the Bible says, laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit in a new dimension and an increased measure. Again, this is not the Holy Spirit coming to live within. This happened when they believed. This was a coming Upon. Now, when I drink a glass of water, that water is within. It's genuine water. Matter of fact, I'm about two-thirds water. Without water, I will die. But drinking a glass of water is not the same as swimming in a swimming pool. And when we give our life to Jesus, we drink eternal water, living water. And within, we are revived, and, and what was dead comes back to life. But in the book of Acts, God told the disciples who were born again because the Spirit of God already breathed on Jesus, breathed and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So on the inside, they were regenerated. They were born again. But he sent them to, to, to Jerusalem and said, wait for the promise of the Father. So they waited to Pentecost, and when Pentecost came, the Spirit was within, but then the Bible said they heard a sound, like, 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 like a great rushing of wind, and fire filled the room and sat on each head, and, and the Bible said they began to do demonstrable things and, and speak in tongues, and, and people heard them praising God. So there was a, an infilling, if you will, of indwelling, if you will, of the Holy Spirit, but then there was also a subsequent coming upon. And he was saying to the disciples, listen, I don't want you to even think about ministry until you step into this next phase. Now, the new birth will keep you out of hell. It gets you into heaven. But if you want to be successful in ministry, there's more. Stay with me. This is an important point. Don't settle for anything less than everything. God has for you. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.